You are now entering the mind of one of rock's greatest musicians, a former singer of Styx. The exclusive podcast, Come Sail Away, with Dennis DeYoung. Hey everybody, Dennis DeYoung here. Um, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, my wife and I, we spent it over at my sister. She had the Thanksgiving. Traditionally, she's always done that. And my nephew came in with his wife and his three kids and had a nice little gathering. Not like they used to be when there was 30, 35 people, but people are spread out now. I'm sure you've probably experienced this where kids move away for jobs or whatever or nicer climates. So there was about 12 of us. We had turkey and the usual stuff. It was nice. It was nice. I hope you guys had a good time. We were able to avoid politics. I hope you were able to avoid politics as well, you know, because quickly it could devolve into some sort of outrageous fist fight and then you end up on cops face down on the lawn screaming about you know your own particular point of view hopefully that didn't happen you know because it's embarrassing to be on cops and you still have you know specks of uh, stuffing and gravy all over you it's terrible so i hope it was nice well, and we're getting into the christmas season and it goes too fast we all know this as we get older it goes way too fast that distance between um, Thanksgiving and Christmas seems like pfft, it's just done. Anyway, what do we want to talk about today? Um, I'm going to talk about some of the experience I've had over the years and the learning experiences I've had about how to make, I, I failed to use the word records, but let's say some sort of recordings of the music we make. Because over the years, uh, I, I think they still do make records in vinyl, but essentially... There's all different ways to deliver music these days. I don't think that, you know, the advances have been, shall we say, better. From a sound quality, they have not. Analog is still, you know, the finest way to record anything. But it's a digital world. We can't fight it, kids. Bits and bytes. We're ones and zeros. That's the way it is. So we've learned to accept less quality and sound quality for our music to have, I guess, the convenience to uh, listen to music, you know, anywhere we are. It doesn't matter. We can have it. Little, you know, little devices like telephones right into your ear and then away you go. Um, fine. This is the way it's going to be. But when we first started out making records, back in 1971, I think, was the first time we actually went into a, a really decent recording studios and we did a bunch of demos for a fellow named Don, Don Chapman who owned uh, a, a recording studio and he put up a bunch of money trying to get us a record deal. We went in there, and that was our first experience, and geez, didn't know anything. Nothing. Didn't know anything but making making records. Didn't know how to play live, but making records is so different. It's a whole different skill set. Now, looking back briefly, we could I could bore you about the whole history of recorded uh, history, but essentially, up until the mid-50s, everything was monaural or mono, which means they put a bunch of microphones around someplace. People, you know, they grouped around it, played their music, and it was a performance. And they cut the, um, the record live right there at the same time. It was, it was making a record as you were playing it. And um, that evolved over the years. But essentially, all those early records you listen to, these are performances. They are really live performances. And that takes a special skill set. It demands more of you as a professional musician and singer. Uh, and then along came, in the middle 50s, Multi-track recording, yeah. So you could lay a track down and then go back and overdub it, which means record again 
to the same track you laid down in the first place and make it sound as if it was all done at the same time. Well, that kind of multi-track recorded, um, really, um, if you look at the history, Bing Crosby, believe it or not, and the Ampex Company were, were vital in the development of multi-track recording. In fact, Ampex were the first pay, uh, people to uh, come up that come up with that idea with the with the help and the financial backing of Bing Crosby. And then the great Les Paul became involved um, through his experiences and his uh, communication with Bing Crosby, and, and multi-track recording was born, where you could do more than one track at a time. So, for instance, simple as enough, a guy could go in there, you know, have two guys in there and play two instruments, a bass and a drum. Then the other guys could go in and play another instrument and another instrument, you know, depending on how many tracks you have. And so it went from just one track to two tracks to four tracks to eight um, to 16 to 24 to 48. And now with the, the, the advent of um, digital recording, you can, I mean, tracks are limitless. It really, it's, it's amazing. So it gives you all kinds of, shall we say, opportunities to make mistakes. Because, listen, the more opportunities and choices you have to make, the more chances are you're going to goof it up. This is just a fact because you, I've, I've always said you can't give people too many choices. They'll get confused. And modern, modern recording um, is, is really like that. The, your, your ability to manipulate sound now is, is astounding. It's limitless. But let's go back to 1971 and 1972. The first album Styx actually made was in 72. We recorded. Barry Moraz was our engineer. John Ryan was the producer. Now, what does that mean? What's an engineer? What's a producer? A producer is not like a producer of a motion picture or a TV show or a Broadway musical. These kind of producers are more like the overseer of an entire project, and they, they raise money. They get money to start a project. They although they may be involved in the creative process many times, and they are, they are not the guys who are most responsible for, for the ultimate product that's done. That would be, on Broadway, that would be a director. In motion pictures, that's a director. <clears throat> in the studio, a producer can be many different things. He can be like a guru, a guy who sits in there and keeps the vibes going, keeps everybody happy, provides people with drugs and booze. No, just kidding. Although, yes, it had happened. But it's his job to encourage and point the artist in the correct direction musically, at least from his point of view. It would, some producers were almost like, um, well, they were the boss. They, artists would come in, singers, recording artists, musicians, and do exactly what the producer told them what to do. They, he had it all laid out. This is the way I want it to go, okay? So um, then, then you have the, the engineer. What is the engineer? Engineer is theoretically the technical person. He's the guy who understands how to record audio, where to place the microphone, what kind of equalization, which is simply put really a lot of treble, a lot of bass, a lot of mid-range, how much at this frequency of this, that, and the other thing, he tries to get all the sounds recorded properly. So then the producer can make judgments about what's going down. It is a collaboration. Some producers, like I said, are, 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 are people who try to keep the vibe going, are good at picking songs, good, in, good at, at encouraging um, 
the musicians they work with to make great performances. And some some producers are technical people, people who are involved um, almost like a pseudo-engineer where they're very, very much concerned about the sound of the ultimate product. Well, back in 1972, knew nothing. I knew nothing, absolutely nothing, about um, how how to make a record. What, is, what does equalization mean? I don't know. What's compression? What's this? Didn't know anything. So we just sat back and make, made our records and, and let people deal with how the, the record sounded. And it worked out, it worked out okay, but we, were, we put ourselves in the hands of our producer and our engineer in the first two records. Then the third record, we decided to change our producer and turn it all over to Barry Moran's our engineer and stay completely out of the, the, the mixing process, didn't show up. In fact, what does the mixing mean? Okay, I know I'm jumping around here. Well, mixing, to me, is, generally speaking, generally speaking, in the old days, the, uh, under, it came out of the guise of the cooperation between the engineer and the producer. Ultimately, the way the thing sounded was kind of a collaboration between those two guys. Now, what do you mean by sounding? Well, when you have multi-track recording, for instance, let's say you have, let's make it simple. Let's say you have 16 tracks um, or 24 tracks. What it is, I've said from the very beginning, mixing is simply, simply put this. It's, um, it's 20 pounds of crap in a two-pound two bag. That's what it is. You make all these overdubs, you come up with all these ideas, but ultimately, no matter how many tracks you have, 16, 8, 4, 24, ad infinitum, they all have to mix down to two tracks for stereo, left and right. That's what it is. So you have to figure out how all these different sounds can fit, fit together in a whole because no matter how wonderful you think you are in recording ideas, it's going to come down to two tracks. So hence... So we won't get bleeped here. It's 20 pounds of crap in a two-pound two bag. That's it. So the hardest part of the recording process to me is the mixing because you have to, it's a puzzle. You have to figure out what does the picture look like when it's all assembled. So you better have a really good idea of how that's going to go. What is the ultimate, have you got the sound in your head? Producers, generally speaking, in those days, they knew, they had a pretty good idea of what they wanted the thing to sound like as a whole. So if you take all these parts and you have to assemble them, put them together, and there really, there are no instructions. You can do anything you want. So we watched and I watched um, how the process was put together and learned. But... Really, the first four Wooden Nickel albums, I had almost zero to do with any of the Sticks records in terms of, oh, that's too bright, that's too... We just sat back and learned and, 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 and watched. Now, J.Y., as a technical person, um, having, having a degree in engineering, he, he really um, he knew a lot more than, than most of us, and he paid attention to that sort of stuff. But it wasn't until after... Um, Lady was a hit in 1975, and the Sticks 2 album went gold, that I kind of, well, I assumed the position of trying to figure out what kind of a record, what kind of record Sticks was going to make, both 
from a creative uh, standpoint and from a sound standpoint. So Equinox was that was that 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 critical album. The big change happened in 1975. If you listen to Man of Miracles and then listen to Equinox, Man of Miracles was our fourth album, and Equinox our fifth. It sounds like a leap of a good five years, but really, what it was is sticks to was the best example of the first four records of how ultimately the sticks sound would would develop and the kinds of mu- the kinds of music we were making on sticks too that was the best we didn't know we were making it but when it was validated by you guys um with a gold album on sticks too well heck then then we knew at least i knew which way i thought we should go so i kind of asserted myself there and i worked very hard with Barry Mraz from that point forward in trying to develop the the overall uh, overall sound and style of the music we were going to make. Because if you listen to those those uh, uh, first four Wood and Nickel albums, they were all over. We did everything, for God's sakes, from Plexiglass Toilet to the, the Handel's Messiah. That's a, that's a wide spectrum, if you know what I mean. Don't sit down on the Plexiglass Toilet and fall into the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing the Alleluia Chorus. Unbelievable. So we were just, you know, we were experimenting in every possible direction. But we honed it in from Equinox forward. So, I've always said, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the technical aspects uh, on some future, on on the very next one, uh, a podcast I do, about the technical aspects of how to mix, at least from my point of view, and what's important and what isn't important, at least in terms of how I viewed uh, Sticks. And it's important to remember that if you like the Sticks albums from Equinox forward, and you like the way they sounded, um, that was, it was, it was, you know, it really was, it really reflected um, how I thought we should sound. But truthfully speaking, it was a collaboration. It was a collaboration. Uh, JY and I, I would say, among all of us, were the most focused on the audio quality of our records, both, both JY and I. So as, as, as it turns out, uh, mixing and production of records is very, very intricate and very elaborate because when you're playing live, man, you're in the moment. You're just playing live, baby. But when it comes down to make a record, the third time I'm going to say it, you've come up with 20 ideas, but it's got to fit in a two-pound bag. That's all there is to it. All right. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm going to talk more about the mixing process with a little more technical aspects, but hopefully making it understandable for everyone. And you can say, oh gosh, that's how records are made. But you want to know the truth? Ultimately, no matter how good a record it sounds, you got to have a great song. And that's it. There's been a lot of songs that don't sound that great that were just great songs and became very popular. But for me, it's the perfect, perfect, perfect combination of great song, great performance, and great sound. Cheers. I hope the universe is spinning in your direction. Enlightening? Perhaps. Entertaining? Always. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Come Sail Away, with Dennis DeYoung. Get the next new episode Friday morning at 7 a.m. on this website.